Hello and welcome to the Unsuckable Podcast. My name is Manuel Fried and I'm once again joined by Adrian Sosa. And Adrian, it's so good to actually say your name right because every time I write the description of a podcast, you always have to correct the way I spell Sosa. Sorry, I always forget the U, but hopefully everything is all right. Yeah, everything is fine and it's, don't worry. Uh, it's something, you know, some people say Sousa, Sousa, Sosa. Now the writing of it, the spelling of it, that's a completely different story. So it's it's become our regular routine where I say, hey, just my last name. The rest looks impeccable. But uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm excited. It was a fun weekend of football, wasn't it? It was an interesting one. It was a good weekend for North American football at that. It really was. Um, and I know, I know this next guy is going to be super excited. Joshua Deming, a huge Borussia Dortmund fan. Um, I, of course, made the joke in our chat that now that Bayern Munich lost, um, Borussia Dortmund are going to slip up as well. We can all put a hundred bucks on that. But hey, Joshua Deming, how's it going, man? Uh, Dortmund did not slip up. You guys actually won. You must be just ecstatic this week. Yeah, it's been a good weekend. I mean, I was surprised by the Augsburg-Bayern result on Friday. It was one I really didn't see coming given how Augsburg has played this season. And then on top of that, uh, you're just expecting Dortmund to follow suit and lose because they seem to never be able to capitalize when Bayern wins. The opposite happened. It was a it was a rough-ish kind of game, but they found a way to win 2-1. And on top of that, Daniel Mullen scored as well. So, I mean, I'm all smiles here and excited to be here for another episode, guys. Yeah, and at this point, I would introduce uh, Filippo Silva, but he's not here this week. Um, he's gotten... He's Brazilian. He's rolling around the ground somewhere holding his knee. No, just kidding. Um, he's out with a knee after after a knee surgery. He's doing well, though. Uh, sends his regards, and uh, we all hope that he's going to be back soon. It's just a meniscus anyways. Not that painful. Just takes some time. But yeah, take it easy, man. We're, we're thinking of you. Um, but guys, I feel like we have an issue in here now. This show... When we started the show together, we named this podcast the Unsuckable Podcast because the joke, of course, was when we first started chatting um, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was unsackable. And now, Josh, we have a problem because he's gone. He's been sacked. Uh, what are we going to do? Are we going to just rename this podcast now? Solskjaer definitely uh, made me pretty livid when that, that happened. I mean, we had a game plan for, for the next five years. It was a five-year plan to make jokes around Ole, knowing that he will never be sacked because there's just no way. And now we have to rethink it. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think we should take away the name. I think it's an iconic name already, you know, unsackable. But we do need to find a new target. So we need to find a very underachieving ma manager somewhere that we know will never get sacked and uh, he'll become the new Ole. It's a tough shoes to fill. Definitely tough shoes to fill. Mourinho is a good candidate. It's probably going to take us a while. Um, Maybe it's going to be him. But yeah, Adrian, he's gone. Um, my joke on Twitter, of course, and I sent you guys that message because I found out um, Saturday night that he was going to be sacked. It did take till Sunday morning for United to confirm it. And then <laughs> they did an interview with him as well. Um, his goodbye interview. I don't think you get that very often with a manager. Usually it's like bye and you never hear of him again. Um, they did a good buy into your film, which is just remarkable. Um, it's a good theater that. But yeah, would Watford destroy United 4-1? Uh, joke on Twitter is, of course, that Watford ruined the party for everyone else because now that Oligon and Solskjaer is gone, United are going to hire a manager who actually knows what he's doing and they're going to be much better. Is this the beginning of the end of 
United's problems. Adrian, what do you think? I don't know that you can really trust the board to make the right decision at this point. They haven't really shown or given us any reason to believe that they will do that. Now, the words coming out of Manchester United currently are Michael Carrick is going to be the caretaker until they appoint a caretaker until the end of the season type of thing. So it's sort of a strange approach already where, you know, if you compare that to someone like Tottenham, for example, they sacked Nuno and they went and got Antonio Conte immediately. So it just, I mean, I guess there are some benefits to waiting and seeing what happens in the world of managers and see what your options are by the time the summer comes around, because it's obviously going to be a very different picture, but I don't know, maybe, maybe they could take the Aston Villa route and go for a manager who was already at a club, but just so show some of that desire to improve themselves right now and start now and uh, do as Aston Villa did and getting Steven Gerrard. I don't know. I, there's a lot of rumors linking him to Pochettino. Um, whether that is realistic or not, I'd, I'd love to hear what Josh thinks of that. Yeah, Josh, what do you think? I mean, there is rumors about uh, Zinedine Zidane. There's rumors about Pochettino. Ralf Rangnick is still an option as well. Um, we heard, of course, earlier today that Zinedine Zidane could now take the PSG job and make the, clear the path for uh, Poch to take over United. What do you make of all of that? Yes, I mean, I was trying to think about it there. I mean, it's an interesting one. And I heard a couple of stories today around exactly what you're talking about. And it makes the most sense. I don't like the fact that they're going to almost do what they did when appointing Ole. They threw him in for the interim. They got a couple interesting results, the the big win against uh, PSG. And then they just decided to go go with it. I I think they need to find a direction. And I really do think that Pochettino was the man that should have gotten the United job. I believe he wanted it. It just it didn't seem like it was going to fall his way. Ended up at PSG. It makes so much sense to me if if Zidane is actually interested in the PSG job, if he went there and then Poch came to United where I personally believe he belongs. I feel like that's a bit of a stretch though. And more than likely they're going to, I don't know. I honestly don't know what they're going to do. They're going to point someone, someone some way to, to make it there. But um, it's interesting because I also know that Zidane's interested in the French national team job, but I just don't know exactly who is able to turn around the ship. And I'm curious to see what you guys think. If you think that Pochettino is the right man, if you have someone else in mind, what do you think, Adrian? I mean, I think that with Pochettino in particular, it's it's a job that's attractive to him just because, you know, you go to PSG and not to plug myself, but I did a video about a year ago when he first got signed up at PSG saying that this job is almost a poison chalice just with the way that the club is run and the expectation in that domestic results aren't necessarily enough to sort of keep you alive at the club, so to speak. So he goes there, they sign Messi, they have Neymar. And as you guys know, they have Mbappe already, who his his future was a little bit unclear at the beginning of this season with all the Real Madrid stuff going on. But you look at the type of football that he used to play at Tottenham, high pressing, fast, counterattacking, that kind of football. And you look at the players that he has at his disposal. And like I saw that game against Lille, and like we've seen so many times, it all looks just a little bit pedestrian because you can't get a great press when you have Messi Neymar and Mbappe they're just not the players for it so you look at this United squad and it does seem like it could be more of a fit Sancho Donny van de Beek Rashford Bruno guys like this you know maybe Ronaldo is the one that you could point to as not being an exact fit for Pochettino's style of football but it does seem just a little bit more conducive to what he would want to play and he's been getting a little bit more edgy with his answers lately at PSG a little bit frustrated when people talk about his style of football 
and we, we all know what Tuchel has said in the past about managing at PSG and all the egos and the families that you have to manage that come with it. So I think that for him, his silence is sort of showing an interest in wanting to go to Manchester. I actually think Zidane would be perfect for the PSG job because it kind of is a little bit like Real Madrid was. Um, no one is expecting going to expect Zidane to, to formulate some sort of tactical revolution, which I don't think he's capable of doing. Um, he never stood out as a tactical mastermind at Real Madrid. And um, essentially what he did, he he told the players, he's more of the man management father kind of personality, isn't he? Then he goes in and says to the players, like, here's my 4-3-3. You're all going to play in your best position and just go out there and play and like basically managing all these major egos in the dressing room. And I feel like PSG would pretty much be the same thing. It'd be exactly the kind of same role. And I, I think they could actually work there. Uh, I don't think it would work at United the same way uh, for many different reasons, just because you, I always find it interesting in the Premier League that there's so many managers in in that competition that are just not good uh, in comparison to the other European leagues. And the moment you put a good manager in some of these teams, they improve dramatically overnight. Chelsea is a great example, right? When Tuchel came in. And I think United could be another one when if you put in a good manager with a good tactical understanding, which is why I personally think it, it should be Ralf Rangnick in the interim and then someone, someone he picks um, maybe later on, whether the club is intelligent enough. And I think we spoke about this a week ago, um, whether the club will invite... The, someone in and like take over the club who is essentially going to fire most of the people that are already there um, is another question but yeah uh, it's an interesting one I, I think it's going to be really interesting to follow I, I'm especially intrigued by the whole Zidane to, um, to PSG's thing um, I'm really curious what's going to happen with that I don't know if you or with Josh or Adrian if you guys want to jump in on that but I think that's I find that very intriguing I do too, because when hearing like a lot of people talk about the United job and what a disaster it's turned into, there's no clear indication of which way they should take. There's not like there's a manager out there who is tailor-made for this position. I think the the number one candidate in a, in a manager who I think is a good fit and like I just spoke to is Pochettino. But then the big question is he's got a f- job at PSG. How are you going to convince PSG, whether there's a release clause or whatever there is to allow a manager like Pochettino to walk out mid-season to join United, and how are you supposed to replace him? And Zidane has spoken out about not wanting to join United. Um, doesn't seem like he's interested at all. I think even having to learn the language would be a huge um, negative effect to going to a rainy Manchester when he's used to obviously living in, in beautiful Spain. But if that PSG job is interested, interesting for him while potentially waiting for the, fr- the French national job down the line then it's a perfect fit and I think that getting a, a legend like Zidane to go to Ligue 1, obviously in France taking over the PSG job working with huge egos which is exactly like you said Manuel it's not like Zidane I don't think anyone can go out there saying he's a tactical genius but being able to balance out very talented players and get them buying into a system where they're playing at their best I think PSG is the number one club that I think would allow Zidane to come in and do a good job while then freeing up Pochettino to take over United where he could try to pick up the pieces. Yeah, it ultimately seems like quite the marriage of convenience could be on our hands. Um, and I think that I think that Zidane would be interested in this in this PSG job because, you know, in the French capital. But the only question is, would he do it? Because he is a former Marseille player. So there is that sort of beef there. But whether or not that would play a role, I can't speak to. But I also think that 
Zidane is an interesting choice because he did show in his final season at Real Madrid that he does have a little bit more of tactical flexibility. He was playing with the three at the back. He did utilize that three at the back to beat Atalanta in the Champions League. He made the switch right before, the weekend before, tested it out domestically, and then he went and used it in the Champions League against Atalanta, partially because he had such an insane injury crisis, I guess you could say, last season. So all of that considered, he still managed to push the title right to the final day up against Atletico Madrid. So I think that I think that he does deserve more credit tactically. But yeah, ultimately, I completely agree with you guys. He is one of the better man managers out there, as he showed at Real Madrid. And that's, that's not a negative thing at all. Um, I mean, that's in a very positive way, I think. And to, to switch over to the next topic that we're going to talk about, and here's a smooth tra- transition right there, is... One of the big things that uh, Hansi Flick changed when he got into Bayern Munich is he is he's tactically very good, but um, was to actually talk to the players and get the dressing room united, and um, that's how they won all these titles in such a short span time. Which is, of course, now the transition to that is that and there's multiple reports out there at the moment um, regarding Bayern Munich's dressing room and what's going on. Um, because of the Joshua Kimmich situation and him being unvaccinated and um, him being out in that game against Augsburg. And I think Lothar Matthäus just wrote a huge column um, in his preferred medium built Zeitung um, saying that, you know, like it's not all Kimmich's fault. I, I would actually say I would slightly disagree with that. He is, he's the quarterback. And I think anyone who follows American sport knows uh, that the quarterback uh, currently is a big topic in American sport with Aaron Rodgers not getting vaccinated, right? But um, there is a huge divide now in that dressing room. And I find that very interesting that, you know, that is what's what's pulling this club aside, pulling the, the club apart in some ways. And there is a report now by Raphael Honigstein, um, who writes for the Athletic, and who I respect enormously. And I know, I know who his sources are, and who he usually speaks with in the club. So I, I can, if he writes what he writes about Bayern Munich, and that some of the players are now uh, tuning towards changing their minds about vaccination, then it's a hundred percent correct. The question, though, is though, Josh, and you are a Borussia, Borussia Dortmund fan, so please, whatever you say now, everyone else can take with a grain of salt, but. This has made the Bundesliga a bit more interesting. I mean, I've said a lot about things about Bayern's vaccination and so on, and I don't want to go much deeper in it than I did on the Gegenpressing podcast, which will be out tomorrow as well. So if you want to listen in more on that, but it has made the league more interesting, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Kimmich is such an important player for Bayern, and you saw it. And it's funny that in the match against Augsburg, they lost 2-1, and you could, I mean, one for sure, but the, this two of the goals you could argue were... Uh, his replacement, uh, Sabitzer's fault. And he was supposed to come in with uh, ex- like expectations to be able to fill the role of Gretzka or, or Kimmich, maybe even a little bit further up the pitch in the, in the right system on Nagelsmann. And when every time he's seen this season where he's gotten the call, he hasn't lived up to it. And when you have a player as talented as Kimmich being out for reasons that are due to COVID, it, it's it's frustrating for, for Bayern supporters. And especially when the replacement and Sabitzer comes in and is directly responsible for the the two goals that concede and then now allow the the Bundesliga to be a little bit more open. Uh, The surrounding teams, I mean, Dortmund took advantage of that. They're now one point behind Bayern with a massive game coming up on December 4th, which as a, as a neutral and I mean, as a Dortmund supporter, I'm make that game even more important because sometimes 
even in an early December match between Bayern and Dortmund over the years, it could be a 10 point difference. So the fact that it's one and hopefully it will still be around that, that one point going into, uh, into the December 4th game makes it, makes it crazy interesting. And, and it makes the, the league a little bit more competitive, I guess, but it, it, it sucks. And if it was, if I was a big Bayern fan, I would be, I'd be quite upset if seeing Kimmich having to miss reasons that are due to COVID. Yeah. As I said, I said a lot about that on the Gegenpressing Pressing podcast, and I find it uh, all very frustrating, especially being German and seeing the COVID situation in Germany unfold. And um, it is everyone's own choice whether to get vaccinated or not. But um, the moment your vaccination status impacts others, um, I do feel that it does become a topic where you have to say, okay, look, it is your own personal choice and it will always remain your own personal choice. Um, hundred percent. But if you unpack your teammates, then hmm, I have a bit of a different opinion about that then. Right. And it is a team sport and, um, you know, you are supposed to be a good teammate, um, and you are supposed to help and it is becoming a, such a big issue. I mean, the, the athletic is now also reporting, of course, that Bayern players faced pay cuts. Um, I can confirm that that's true. Bayern did not confirm it, by the way. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's all all very interesting. We'll see how it plays out. Of course, um, the players will now have a chance to use the time that they have off because they're in quarantine. Kimmich is one of them. And three of the five have said that they are looking into getting vaccinated. Um, I know in, in Musiala's case, I don't know if he is one of the three out of the five. He he wasn't really eligible for vaccination um, anyways until late August. So he was always planned to do it over Christmas. Um, we'll see who the others, others three are then. Um, I assume Kimmich will be one of them. I hope so, because it would be a big signal in a country that's completely embattled um, with COVID, COVID-19 numbers at the moment. But Josh, your team, Borussia Dortmund, we all thought hmm, they're going to stumble now. But they took all three points against Stuttgart, but it was not pretty, was it? No, it it was not it was not pretty at all. I, there's there's a huge elephant in the room in the fact that Erling Haaland is so reliable for goals and you argue, arguably have to play your system around him. And everyone thought when Mullen came in including myself because I was a big fan of Daniel Mullen, I thought he was a, a specific area Dortmund needed to address because there is always a chance of injury. There's there's a bunch of factors that you can't control and over the years, and in my opinion, what cost Dortmund the title a few seasons ago was not having an adequate striker option when your number one option isn't available. So I thought Mullen coming in and being able to play as as a striker, potentially playing on the wings, would be so useful for Dortmund. And it was incredible to see the start to his season and him being pretty much a ghost. Uh, he only scored the one goal against Sporting in the Champions League, and it just looked like he had opportunity after opportunity. And I interviewed a few uh, PSV fans before the Mullen transfer actually came, and, and it was kind of alarming at the time when he did have 19 goals and I think he had eight assists in, in the last season, but they said he missed a lot of chances and he's a player who needs two, three chances to be able to put one in the back of the net. And that did make me a little bit nervous because that wasn't really what I wanted to see as a striker to come in when Holland isn't there. I want to see someone to put the ball in the back of the net. And, uh, and unfortunately it seemed like that was potentially going to uh, hurt us in this match against Stuttgart as we didn't take a couple of chances. Mullen did obviously score the goal, but then Stuttgart, battled back, made it 1-1. And then uh, if you ever like counterattacking football or just a counterattack from a from a corner kick, then you got it on display there because that last break between Royce and Hazard was absolutely beautiful. And a little shout out to Tigas because in my opinion, the entire 
second goal started from a very intelligent little one-time ball to release Marco Royce. It's interesting that Marlon scores from a goal that wasn't really a chance, is it, Josh? I mean, that was kind of deflected through several legs. Um, I guess if you're a striker, it doesn't matter. You take it if you haven't scored in a while. But it's kind of interesting that it was a pretty ugly goal, hey? I mean, at first glance, it looked like a very nice goal. It looked like he took a touch, set himself up nicely, and drilled it in the bottom corner. It wasn't until a a different camera angle you realize that it it did take a, a massive deflection. And more than likely, if it didn't take that deflection, it wouldn't have gone in. But Mullen has had chances, and he has had good opportunities throughout the course of the season so far. He just wasn't able to take any any from them. So, I mean, it, it was hopefully a break went his way finally, which it did. And if you're Daniel Mullen, you take it, and you have to grow on it. You have to continue to start putting up numbers because with Holland still being out and the fact that we're only one point behind Bayern, you need a, someone to step up and start contributing goals, and we're hoping this is a turning point for Daniel Mullen. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, of course, reports today that uh, Borussia Dortmund, I know that they want to want to do this, um, have offered a 14 to 18 million euro a year deal to Erling Haaland to renew his contract. So um, I know Dortmund have been working very hard with the sponsor Puma to, to get a deal like that done. I think if they manage or pull off somehow to keep Erling Haaland, that would make things very, very interesting. And um Curious, curious how that develops. I, 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 knowing some of the sources and where this comes from, and hearing that they are working on a deal. Hmm. Another one that another one to watch because maybe you know I, I always thought Haaland is off to Madrid, and this has been what's been told to me many times um, by pretty some pretty reliant, reliable sources. But I think anyone who knows Mino Raiola also understands that um, any deal means nothing as long as there's more money on the table elsewhere. Right, and the Puma connection is, of course, an interesting one. So we'll see. The NHL season is underway, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just one dollar on any NHL game and win a hundred dollars in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However, they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, guys, let's move on. We have lots more to talk about. And of course, we also want to hear again from Adrian. And Adrian, um, your team in Montreal, the Montreal Impact also known as CF Montreal, whoever wants to call them that, because some people do apparently, or Club de Fort, they won a title this weekend. Um, I understand you wanted to go, but you didn't, um, but you watched it on TV. What were your impressions of that game? Yeah, so the impact, as I still refer to them as, um, they did. They ended up winning the Canadian Championship, um, and it never really looked in danger, in my opinion, up against the Toronto 
FC, the Toronto FC. Not sure why we throw a the. I guess it's, I'm just used to the Montreal impact. But anyways, I think that this has been one of the strangest seasons for the Montreal impact. Um, the rebrand, club to foot. Terry Henry leaves right before the season. Nancy comes in. They ban the the Montreal Ultras. Gilmore, he ends up leaving the club. So it's been a tumultuous season, to say the least. Plus the beginning of it, like many Canadian teams, Montreal were down in Miami for the first good chunk of the MLS season, not even able to play at home. So the fact that they have come out on the other end of this with the Canadian Championship, they're back in the Champions League, um, is a little bit surprising when you consider all the off-field things. But as we were talking about just prior to recording, a little look behind the curtain here for you guys, this Montreal team, to me, underneath Nancy, looks like a more cohesive team, looks like a better side than they did under Thierry Henry. And that team under Thierry Henry was able to make it into the playoffs. So I was quite surprised that they weren't able to make it in. And maybe that's just a testament to the East being much better, more competitive this season. But uh, what did you guys make of it? Was you surprised? Do you think that this Toronto side was going to end with a flourish, end with a, uh, a strong end to the season, maybe a little trophy? No. I did not. In my opinion, TFC deserved nothing from this season. Uh, And again, for you guys who don't know, I live relatively close to Toronto. I'm about an hour and a half. So, I mean, if I'm going to a professional uh, soccer game, I'm going to... Although you did just reveal that you do not live in Toronto. But keep going. Yeah, no, don't don't live in Toronto. Don't live in Toronto. But I live in an area where if you want to watch professional soccer, you're going to watch Toronto or you're going to watch Forge. Maybe Ottawa, but... Uh, I just, it was such a disastrous season and there were so many ugly storylines behind this TFC side. It would have felt almost unfair to see them go out with, with uh, a smile on their face. Cause I just think this it's time for a complete rebuild. A lot of moving parts are going to have to be taken out from the side and hopefully actually reinvest properly and, and have a new identity for next season. And, and to Montreal, which uh, Adrian spoke to, uh, I, I agree. I thought they were a little hard done by not to make the MLS playoffs this season. And on top of that, in terms of formation, I love the way that they play. They have a clear identity, that 3-4-2-1 system. I think they play well, a lot of good pieces in there. And without them, unfortunately, missing out narrowly on playoffs, they're able to walk away with a big smile on their face and a little bit of silverware. So uh, the match itself, if you watched it, it, it was very one-sided. TFC barely had a shout in Montreal, in my opinion, were, were clear winners. And uh, a big congratulations to them. I'm going to stay with you here, Josh. Um of course, just before we started recording the show, uh, the I got the I got the media release from TFC that Ali Curtis has departed the club. Um, big rumors, uh, Jose Altidore. Uh, I, we can assume he's gone as well, right? That opens a designated player spot, which I think is key. It's huge for this club. Um, I think Bob Bradley is coming in next. But with all of that in mind, what is it that you think needs to be done in this offseason? And they don't they don't have that much time this year, Ron, because the new season already starts in February, right? Because of Qatar. It's not much time to really turn this thing around. It's not, which is why they need to make big decisions immediately. And in, in my opinion, I mean, getting Curtis out is, is, is a big check mark for me. That's something that had to happen. Your next goal is to get Bob Bradley in. Uh, it, it's the obvious fit. The Bradley seem to be very comfortable in Toronto. Michael Bradley, obviously being the captain for TFC right now, that is your next step. He knows the league very well. Uh, I know potentially, I mean, he didn't get that MLS cup with LAFC, but I mean, I, I'd been proud if I was, if I was a TFC supporter watching or, or 
an LF, LAFC supporter watching them play the way they did. And if I'm a TFC supporter, I'm hoping to see Bob Bradley come in and try to replicate that type of play because they were a beautiful team to watch at their best. And I think he'll be the perfect opportunity for him to come in and then it start to figure out the DPs and kind of trim the dead weight. There's a lot of players on that side right now that I'd be happy to watch walk out. I mean, Altador was a phenomenal player for TFC over the years, but he has to go. Soteldo hopefully will go back to Brazil. It just wasn't a, wasn't really a fit with him. And then you had to be strategic about who you bring in. I mean, we know that the names Insigne has been linked around there, whether that's completely legit. And if he'll come, we'll find out. But they had to be strategic. They had to bring the right pieces. And in my opinion, the striker position right now is going to become very important depending on the future of Aouakanol and watching Josie walk out. Yeah, Eoa Kinola, of course, is an interesting one. I know that there's interest in Europe in, in him and his contract situation, of course. His contract runs up, but he's recovering from an ACL injury. So uh, it will be interesting to see what's, what they're going to do with him. I think if you are Toronto, you're going to try to keep him, um, do anything in your power to keep him. And uh, yeah, Adrian Lorenzo Insigne has been strongly linked to TFC. I'm saying strongly linked. And then this is, of course, his contract is up in June. Um, I think a lot of this, of what's going to happen next year, will depend on whether Italy make the World Cup or not, right? Yeah, you would think so. And it's a strange one because Lorenzo Insigne, he, he's one of those players where I forget how old he really is. Just because I guess he's been around for so long. It makes sense. But 30 years old, coming to the end of his contract at Napoli... Um, it seems like the offer that was made to him at Napoli just wasn't even close to what they were looking for. So now you hear him most commonly linked with, you know, of course, Toronto, but Inter as well. And, you know, Beppe Marotta at Inter is, is failing to quell any rumors, so to speak. He's sort of refusing to say whether they are legit or not, whether Inter are going to make a really hard push for him. But, you know, as an impact supporter, I'm thinking of Insigne going to Toronto, a diminutive Italian, and I'm getting the the atomic ant Giovinco's uh, flashbacks because that guy was always torturing us. But uh, yeah, Insigne going to Toronto, that would be huge for the city. And it would be a huge, huge, huge signing for a player of that caliber still. Because yes, he's completely overplayed in the last year, like plenty of players. But the quality that he has when he's on is just fantastic. Yeah, his uh, market value on Transfermarkt is 52.5 million, which means his, uh, he would be currently worth more than um, a good two-thirds of all MLS clubs. Um, it would it would be a game-changer. It would be a massive signing for MLS if that happens. Uh, if it happens, I think, too, uh, we have to keep in mind that uh, market values fluctuate. Maybe by the time it's, it's he is finally there, it, it could look his market value could look different. But I think... He is essentially going to be on the verge of signing his last big contract. And Toronto is a club that pays a lot. Um, they have the highest salary in the league, right? There is a salary cap, but it is a soft cap. And there's flexibility within the cap. And designated players make a lot of money. And um, I'm pretty sure that they will pay whatever needs to be paid to make this, this happen. Um, guys, I feel like we can't move on to the next topic until we talk about this. We've been called rude Canadians again on Twitter. And I find that very rude by Filippo. Very, very rude. Because he's just assuming that that's what we're thinking. Um, there's a huge debate, especially in Canadian media, it seems, about whether Tejan Buchanan should have won the Young Player Award over Ricardo Pepe. I personally, my opinion is, boo-hoo Toronto media, 
here's your media bias, go swallow it because that's what it feels like for the rest of the country. But also, we're talking about a 22-year-old competing against an 18-year-old in a lot of European countries. And I'm a huge, huge Tayshan Buchanan fan. In fact, I think he's probably, he should be in the MVP discussion, not in the best young player discussion. But Josh, he's 22 and Ricardo Pepe is 18. He's played his first ever, Pepe played his first ever year in MLS. He scored a phenomenal 13 goals for a team that sucked. Excuse my language, but they were, Dallas were terrible and he still managed to pull out 13 goals. Whereas Buchanan is 22, had a lot of experience playing this league. He's an incredible player, but he has been surrounded by good players and has the experience of many years of a pro career. I think 22 is too old for this young player category. What do you think? I mean, it's an interesting debate. And I mean, that's going to have to come down to clarity. And I I know maybe some people will understand this, some people won't. But like in the NHL, if you're you're a rookie, you could be 27, 28 years old. I mean, Kaprizov last season, for those of know, I think he was little little over mid 20s when he won it so i mean a little bit of clarity in there would be nice i don't really find that 22 is is too is too old considering that he was considered a rookie and if he is considered a rookie we have to look at the evidence on the table and i think pepe is a deserves a huge show because like you said i mean he's an 18 year old playing striker which is a tough position to make an impact for if you're playing for a poor team and dallas was a poor team last season and he was still impressive but uh, we have to look at what what Tejon Buchanan did. And Tejon Buchanan is a player who is considered a, a young player. 22 to them is is still a young player. And on top of that, New England had a record-breaking season. Tejon Buchanan was very influential in that entire season. He earned an incredible move for him heading over to Belgium with Club Bruges. And, I mean, here's another little shout. I mean, Hercules Gomez, who is, is known, I mean, for me, someone who like is very biased. And even he said, uh, when it, the news broke out that Pepe won, he said, wow, really? Pepe, like, uh, um, not, not Tejan? Like, no, not Tejan. And then Herc just kind of under his breath said, hmm, I wonder if he was American if he uh, or playing for the U.S. national team if he would have won that. So I, it just, I think personally Tejan deserved it, but uh, the age debate is something that uh, could could be carried on. But for me, Tejan got ripped off. What do you think, Adrian? I mean, I haven't followed the MLS too closely, and I'm going to get torch for saying the MLS just right off the bat there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, um, you know, Tejon Buchanan is obviously a very talented player. 22 years old, I think is where, I think that's where the main debate should be is what is the cutoff that constitutes a young player. And Josh, of course, made some good points there about NHL. If, If you're a rookie to the league, you're a rookie. Maybe if they change it to rookie of the year in MLS, I don't know. But I know that this is sort of an ongoing debate that you see all over the place, even in in England with the PFA player of the year, you know, so long as they're English and they're under 24 or something like that, or under 23, these players are considered for the young player of the year award. And it's just, I mean, individual awards in general, I sort of have some gripes with because how do you weigh the impact of one player in a certain position over another? Um, So ultimately I, I don't really mind. And Buchanan already has a great sort of, he's got his recognition already through that transfer to Club Brugge. And I think that that says a lot. I think that's far more important than anything else. That he got a big transfer and he's not going to be in Belgium for long either because he's a very good player. Yeah, individual awards are a joke. It's funny that we fight over them. And uh, the whole, I, I, I laughed at the whole media bias thing because it was, of course, uh, a certain group of media people in our country that complained about it. 
and it did feel like kind of the tables were turned a little bit. Um, I think I would have voted for Pepe too, just because of the age. But again, I don't pay too much attention really to individual awards either because it is a team sport and so much is up to circumstances. Um, but guys, we have... We have some, you know, speaking of media bias, there's a team in the West Coast that uh, in Canada that actually made the Major League Soccer playoffs and unfortunately out now, uh, the Whitecaps. I thought, you know, we, we looked at this and we talked about this before the show and I thought it's a really interesting statistic that MLS teams win 70% of the games at home and there's uh, the, the writer of um, Soconomics, Stefan Szymanski, actually did an interview of um, the Philadelphia Inquirer, um, spoke to Jonathan Tannenbaum, who I know really well. And he said the, um, the two biggest factors in trying to beat the odds, the Vegas odds in, you know, in any kind of betting in soccer betting is usually it's transfer mark values. That's factor number one around the world. And the second factor is home advantage. But in Major League Soccer, Josh, it's turned upside down, which of course means in the playoffs, and we've seen this, every every home team has won in the MLS playoffs in this first round so far. Of course, it, we record this on Monday, there's two more games on Tuesday. Uh, maybe they're going to that's going to turn around a bit. But the Whitecaps were always uh, going to face an uphill battle by going to Sporting Kansas, right? Yeah, they, they were. I had a feeling, and I think you and I were, were talking about it a little bit, like it wouldn't have surprised us if, because of the role that they run and, and the incredible amount of points they picked up to be able to get in the playoffs if they took the game to to Sporting and were able to actually win it and go on. But it, it was one of those matches. It didn't seem like it was going to go their way. Obviously, it was, it was close off the beginning, and then and then Casey just kind of went on for there. And unfortunately, the beautiful end uh, for the Whitecaps' season didn't progress into the playoffs. But I still think the Whitecaps have a lot to keep their heads held high because – it was incredible to see the job that they did to turn their season around to get in the playoffs. A lot of great individual performances to build on for next season, which you alluded to is coming around the corner very quickly. So I think with the management, with some of the players there, it was a bummer that they went out so early and being on the road, obviously it was a strike against them, but I still think there's a lot of excitement. And I'm excited to see them get back on the horse next season. Yeah. I feel that of all the Canadian teams, they're almost in the best position at the moment because it seems like they underwent this rebuild process and it took some time and then it took some hits and then they were in exile in Utah and that didn't go quite so well. Then they got kicked out by Pacific FC in the Canadian Championship. And we're going to talk about Pacific FC in a moment here because they're a big topic as well, of course. Um, and then they fire Mark Dos Santos, who I actually always thought was a really good coach, but it just didn't click for him here. And then Vani Satini comes in, this really, really positive person. Josh, and he just turns things around and you look at that squad and what they've added to the squad and the way the squad is built, it seems like this team is finally there as an as a consistent MLS playoff contender, right? You would hope so. I mean, uh, I, I thought it was funny because like when, when Marcus Santos got sacked, I, I believe besides the, the loss of Pacific, he was on a pretty decent little winning streak of, of himself, but I still think that it was the right decision and, and seeing the job that was done after he, he moved on just alludes to the fact that this team is in the right right areas. And in picking up different types of players, like at the beginning of the season, like Gaspar, who was someone who came over from sporting, I mean, a player who obviously played at a competitive level in, in Portugal coming over here, he didn't seem like it'd be a good little fit for him. He found troubles getting minutes, but towards the stretch of the season, I thought he was so important. I'm a big fan of Dahomey. I think it's incredible watching... Uh, watching him play at left wing back and then going up to striker but 
he's such a he's such a workhorse and such a personality in that lineup. And then, of course, I think the thing that a lot of you guys would probably realize put everything together was uh, was gold and, and seeing him come in and he was he had impressive numbers once again in Portugal as well and seeing him play in that three four one two system him the connection he had with Brian White who again is another player who just kind of shoved Cavallini to the back of the bench and said this is my position I'm going to run with it uh, I really enjoyed watching the Whitecaps this season they're the side in the MLS I watched the most by far them in, in New England just because I couldn't stand watching TFC this year. And, and I, I'm, I'm happy for what they did. And I think that they should be able to build on that and compete for the playoffs once again next season. Yeah, a few things that I um, want to bring up is that um, it, it's not confirmed yet by the club, but um, speaking to some people behind the scenes, um, some sources that have spoken to Satini that very much is, you know, it seems like that Satini will be back. And because like, Otherwise, he wouldn't be looking for certain players. And they're looking for an, another centre-back. Jungwirth looks like he's going to stay. They want to add another centre-back. They're worried about who they're going to lose in the expansion draft. Uh, Peter Vitti, because like U22 players are not exempt from the expansion draft, which is, of course, an interesting one. Uh, we'll see what Charlotte will do in the end of the day when they get to draft um, um, as they come into the league, right? So, yeah, some work to be done. It'll be fascinating to see... What, what, what Vani Satini does with this team next year. Um, really fascinating to see. But um, yeah, Josh, um, Canadian Championship, uh, Canadian Premier League playoffs, sorry, not championship. Uh, we talked about the championship already. It's kind of confusing. There's two different things going on because some teams, of course, play, some Canadian teams play in the MLS, some play in the Canadian Premier League. And so, of course, like, we're talking about the Canadian Premier League now because we have the final on December 5th. December 5th final will be at Forge because they were the highest ranked uh, team in the league. For the first time in the final will be Pacific FC. Um, Josh, you watched the Forge FC game and I think the way this season has gone, the deep run in the CONCACAF league, the fact that they've qualified for the CONCACAF Champions League next year, um, they won the last two titles. Um, they are the biggest and best team in this league. But Pacific FC really have come up over the last few years and have built something really special. But this is very much Fortress's title to lose, right? You would think so. Uh, I mean, what Forge has accomplished in their their short period of existence is honestly is incredible. And and again, I live forty five minutes away. I've had I've been to in their first season. I went to I guess say at least seventy five percent of the the matches. It was a lot of it was a lot of fun, and it's cool to see what they've built. And they're such a talented team. And I was able to tr- talk with Tristan Borges. Uh, in the first season and talk about his development and, and what it was like playing in the, this league. And and I, I love seeing that winning mentality. They want to win everything. I mean, to to win consistently is in a league is not an easy thing to do. And it's why you, unless you're, unless you're Bayern, it's hard to see. But seeing that Forge is able to do it back-to-back and are the favorites to do it for the third time, they just have a ruthlessness about them. And I think it stems from the management as well. But talking to specific about Pacific, they... Uh, they have a good team as well. And a lot of people on Twitter were talking about that this is Forges to lose, that it's just given the title now. And I definitely don't think that's the case. I mean, they went to Calgary, who's a solid squad as well, and has competed with the points with Forge over the last couple of seasons. And going to and Pacific was the away side and, and took that game even in extra time and found a way. And there's some solid players there. Uh, Diaz, I'm a big fan of. Doing it without Bustos, I think is incredible. Campbell, I, I think deserves a move, potentially a couple MLS looks. And of course, McNaughton, who I'm hoping one day will represent Canada. I think this is going to be a very interesting match. And I'm hoping that Manuel, both of you and I will be able to attend it. 
Yeah, we'll see. Um, nothing, nothing confirmed on that end yet. But uh, yeah, Lucas McNaughton is is the player to watch for me in this one because he, of course, missed the game against Cavalry and he was duly missed. Home advantage is massive in this league. Just it is in MLS. Uh, the travel is it's it's a lot of travel. Um, Adrian, you are from Vancouver Island. That's where Pacific FC is based. I live in Vancouver Island. Um, it's very easy from to get from Vancouver Island to a lot of places in the US, and it's actually very easy to get to Europe. But to get to the rest of this country can be tricky. So travel will be a big one for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I've been sort of grappling with in making my Christmas plans in order to come back home to the West Coast. So yeah, travel in Canada is always, always very, very difficult. I mean, I remember I was at the inaugural CPL match in Langford for Pacific FC versus Halifax. And just thinking of the travel time between those two teams, it's just insane. But, you know, speaking of that first season, going to those matches in that first season and seeing the team play and seeing how they struggled, um, comparing that now, the contrast now to how they are, and like Josh said and pointed out, going to Calgary and beating them away without a Lucas McNaughton, someone who I was very confused as to why he wasn't even in the starting 11, not even in the squad for that game, and to be able to pull that off, to show that fight, I think that you know the goal that they ended up scoring, the game winner from Dada Luke, there was some you know arguments on Twitter, was it in, was it out? But just the fight that Dada Luke showed to never give up on that ball, and to put that, you know, just try to put it in the mixer and it ends up in the back of the net. That kind of fight is going to be integral going to play against Forge, who have, I think, established themselves as, you know, far and away the, the big dogs in this league. Yeah, playing the whistle. That's that's always key. You have to play the whistle and the whistle is about to sound on this podcast. But here's my final thought on this. There were two teams that went into this league that already existed previously of course you could say the same about Edmonton but they're a little bit of a special case and we'll talk about Edmonton maybe in a little bit of future because we have some interesting information about them that I just can't confirm yet but uh, Forge of course were a team that existed previously and so were Coverly right it was uh, Sigma in, for Forge and it was um, Calgary Foothills I think for for the Coverly and so these teams had already existed previously and they, that gave them a huge advantage Pacific FC was built from nothing and yeah, they drew heavily from the Whitecaps Academy, but um, Rob Friend and Josh Simpson and Nao Pamuduka have done an excellent job over the last two years. Considering the first year bust, the last two years have been excellent in, in the way they've identified and found talent and really integrated this talent. And yeah, they have built a very good club here. And there's a reason why they're now the most valuable team in this league, according to Transfermarkt. Um, unfortunately, like it is the case in MLS, it seems like transfer mark values are secondary, like to travel. So, yeah, Forge FC is going to be the favorite, uh, I think, in the final. But we'll find out. December 5th, everything is possible in 90 minutes. So, yeah, that's it, guys. Final whistle on this show. Uh, thanks again for listening. And we'll be back probably by the end of the week with yet another podcast, maybe another firing. Maybe Jose Mourinho will survive. Um, maybe we'll have some updates about what's going on in Edmonton uh, lots of interesting stuff happening around the world of football and of course we have another set of MLS playoff games to discuss as well so until then guys cheers and bye bye <laughs> <laughs>